Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Vijay Kashap, Assistant Vice President at Howden Insurance and Reinsurance Brokers. And I've asked Vijay to join us here today to discuss sales, marketing, and strategic leadership. So Vijay, thank you so much, my friend. How are you doing? Hey, Daryl. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm doing great. It's mm. a great morning. Yeah. And, and great to be here. Yeah, good, good. I appreciate you being here. You've got a ton of experience. You've got an amazing journey that you've been on. But before we hop into the business, the sales, the the VP stuff, how did you even get started? You've worked in sales and marketing for a long time. Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs or? I have worked in sales and marketing for quite some time. I come basically from a consulting background. Across different industries, I have been working. I've been working on the business development side. Family, no, I actually come from a family that is more into government services that has been primarily mm. government services. So I was one of the first generation who moved over to the corporate side and business side and entrepreneurship side. So how, like why? What pushed you into that? Uh, I'm an engineering graduate so it only made sense made more sense to move towards corporate side after you had done your engineering you have more opportunities more scope in there compared to on the government government roles or government jobs always wanted to be on the business uh, corporate side once i entered in the corporate side then gradually i got more and more interested in the business aspect of things so I moved over from a hardcore technical engineering role to more of a business role. And in process, I did my MBA as well. Gradually, I got drawn towards entrepreneurship. I tried my hand at that. I used to, I used to run a small consulting firm back in, in India, before back in New Delhi, before coming over and joining Howden. So, yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay, okay. And, Sales is definitely one of the major part and probably the key part in most of the businesses. So, yeah, it's fun to be in sales. It's fun. It can be challenging for a lot of people. Some people don't like it. Was it easy for you to come from? How, what have been some of the biggest challenges for you in that transition? Going from something like you said, technical engineering, to then getting into business. And even you went to academia, but I don't think, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I don't know how well that translates into like applied sales, so to speak, right? You can learn the theory, you can learn the charts, the diagrams, the fiscal analysis, the, the theories and principles. But then at the end of the day, you got to sit across from someone and, and talk to them. And, and so how was that? That was an interesting transition, actually. For me, the advantage was that the first time I moved over from a technical role to sales, was within the same company in my doing my first job. So 
that means that I knew the product very well while selling it. So that helped initially getting the confidence. And then gradually you pick up. I mean, again, so for me, I've been I've been more of an introvert person. So I prefer be, being with myself in my free time. But then I suppose it's a, when it comes to the job, when it comes to the sales, you don't really... You don't really need to talk a lot, as long as you are, as long as you are listening. I think that that in itself is a very key tool for sales, for being good in sales. Mm. Listen, understand, and then say what you need to. Mm-hmm. So, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Was it easy? You said you got some experience with your first job. It was just smooth sailing, like the first. Your first job, they push in the sales and you just practice, practice, got good. Did, was there any learning curves that you felt like? It sounds like being introvert was maybe a challenge. You had to really get outside your comfort zone to begin. Actually, I thought it would be a challenge, but surprisingly, it was not. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I started off in operations. So I was typically, uh, it was a transformer manufacturing company. So like typical engineering I started off with Six Sigma and all those stuff, and then one of one of the one of the days, the sales head of the company came to me and asked me, "Hey, do you want to try sales?" I'm like, "Okay, why not?" I was also getting a bit bored by my operation job by then. By then, all these guys. Why not? Let me try my hand. And then, in a, within a year or so, things turned out well. So I was doing fine, and then. In the meantime, I realized that it's not always about sales. It's not always about pushing. It's about yeah. It, it's more about listening, understanding, and then pitching the right solution. Especially because I deal more on the B two B sales, business to business sales. So in there, it's always selling a solution, right? So to sell the solution, you need to understand the problem. To understand the problem, you need to let the other person speak and listen to them. I love so, that. Uh, yeah, it was in course. I was able to find this way, and it has worked for me so far. It seems, yeah, it seems that's a good way of dealing with business development, listening to people, understanding their needs, and selling them the right product. And yeah, being honest. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that. So it's not about pushing. It's not about persuading and manipulating it's about listening understanding the problem and then trying to solve it for people yeah i mean by pushing you can make one sale right today but then if you're scamming that person if you're not being totally honest with that person he's not going to come back to you but if you're being honest in your first sale even if it's a small sale there is a trust developed and that's a long term i love that i love that so much so can you now, we're talking about the sale and when you're already sitting down and talking with someone, but I think for a lot of people, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think that prospecting is a place that a lot of people get tripped up. Like you have to have people to talk to. And so I think that might be part of where that intensity comes from is when people, they don't feel like they have a lot of lead. Lead gen is a massive industry. It's not going away anytime soon. And that's a big pain point. Can you speak to that? Because Obviously, you guys have, I think you got a couple of thousand employees. This is probably something that, you know, is a consistent topic in the company training meetings or, or in that. So what would you suggest? 
or say about that if someone was starting out or struggling? That's true, actually. LinkedIn is one of the basically the first step, right? And that's the that's one of the most uh, frustrating process for many of the salespeople. So, uh, how do we are? We are actually a team of more than 10,000 globally. In the Philippines, we have slightly less than 100 employees at present. But in terms of Legion, uh, it will so it will depend on the product. So, for example, if we are talking about if we are selling Apple phones, you don't need to lead generate lead. People will come to you to buy, right? Because it's the product already is pulling customers. You just need to be visible, and people will come and automatically buy from you. But if you are selling other stuff that that people are that's not perceived to be as attractive, that doesn't have as much of a pull, right? If you're sending, for example, in the Philippines, if you're sending selling condominiums, a lot of the sales are push sales. You will meet people in the malls trying to hand you over the brochure for that. Yeah, and, uh, they so always on. hit me yeah. up. They're like, "Hey." Yep. Oh, white guy, come here, take a pamphlet. <laughs> you, must be, yeah. you must be needing a uh, condo. Here's yeah. what you have. <laughs> so that, so that's uh, that's the way. And then, but then things are a bit different in the B two B side. Actually, what I feel is in the B two B side, it becomes very difficult to uh, sell if you are just going cold without any without any recall values. Branding becomes a very important part of it it becomes uh, it becomes important that when you are approaching someone especially uh, coldly especially coldly if you're approaching someone it's really helpful if the person already knows your company mm. knows your brand because mm. otherwise you're just a random person approaching that person for a random pitch right so branding branding becomes the key to relationships take take us to long places uh that's why it's more difficult to acquire a client it's relatively easier to keep a client that you have acquired i love that i love that i love that you said that i'm actually doing a promotion <clears throat> so i i help businesses get customers and keep them and i'm doing a promotion right now because we've got some i have some intellectual property that works really well with service-based businesses and e-commerce business and that where we've, we have our primary case study in eight months, we've boosted their retention 106%. And I feel like that's such a huge opportunity for a lot of people, especially people listening to this, because what you said is easier to keep an existing customer than it is to go get a new one. And so many people are focused on new, you know, I had a friend, one of my claims of fame, forgive me, this is your interview, but part of when I first started this podcast, I just helped the company turn around from being on the verge of bankruptcy to doing $3.2 million US in eight months, eight months again. And when I went home for Christmas that year, I was at meeting up with old friends and stuff. And one guy was a, con a subcontractor and he'd asked me about the highest ROI he could spend on marketing. And I asked him, where does all your work come from? And he goes, three different guys, give me contracts. And I go, okay, did you send them something for Christmas? Do you have their birthday marked on a calendar? Do you know their anniversary? Do you know what their kids' names are? I was like, there's nothing that will be a higher ROI than giving those guys a card. And even if you work in an industry, yeah. I know like with insurance, you have to be careful about testimonials and things like that. But I mean, you do. 
no, no one's going to accuse you of bribery or anything if you remember someone's birthday and say, hey, happy birthday. But there is value in that, right? Send a car, send a bottle of beer. That's it. Yeah, yeah. There's no, yeah. So anyway, I just love that that's, you mentioned that. I think that's a huge value bomb for the listeners. I think that's- You really know what? I find it funny actually because even though there are so many products that have constant offers for new customers to join in. But then they have so little of, to offer to the existing customers. It's quite funny because your your existing customer is a potential new customer for your competitor, right? Yeah. And just like you are offering things to for for new customers, your competitors are offering too. So you don't know when your existing customer is moving over to your new. Yes, I love that. I love that. I forget who said it, but I heard this quote. It was like. You need to opt. So you need to spend 80% of your time trying to bring new customers through the door, but you need to operate your business as if you'll never get another new lead and customer. You have yes. to operate as if you're never going to get another new lead and customer, but obviously you got to keep bringing new people in because you can only lose people, right? If even if you have a gym, you've got a membership, you have a hundred members. If you don't bring new people in, then the only thing that can happen to that hundred membership is it gets smaller. People move, people die, people get married. All sorts of things happen, but I just love, I feel like we're really on the same wavelength, at least in terms of that stuff. So that's excellent. That's great advice. Any other tips for people that maybe are starting out or struggling in sales and growing their business? One of the things that I have always believed is to that success is good, but failure is important. As long as that failure is teaching us some good lesson it is it can be quite valuable as well failure can teach us lessons that even success can mm. so it's yeah it should be it's okay for people not to be able to make sale at the first attempt that's only normal mm. but it's important to learn from that it's important not to repeat the mistakes and yeah it's important to keep hustling mm. i love that i love that and just because someone says no, it doesn't necessarily mean no. It just might mean no right now. And it depends how you show up, right? You don't want to be a pest. You want to be able to show up in a way that you're a welcome guest, right? But people, I love the quote, people buy when they're ready to buy, not when you are ready to sell. And so that's part of where you have to stay in touch. I think that's an important part. True. And then I mean, you're approaching someone to sell something. If they're not responding, it's their right not to. You cannot get offended by that. Yeah, they're listening to their own lives. They have give, their own goals and priorities. Yeah. yeah. Give them yeah. the time. Let them know what you are, what you want to sell, and they will get back if they need. Yeah, I and especially that. if you are able to convey to them that you know what you are doing and uh, your product has the potential to solve their problem. I love that. So can we talk a little bit about your career now and how now, how did you become assistant vice president of business development? That's lots of people work in corporate America. Not everybody gets to climb to a role of VP or even assistant VP. Obviously, you were, I think you were head of marketing before that. Can you speak to some of your accomplishments in that journey and how you ascended? Was it easy? Were there big challenges that you had to overcome? Yeah, there were challenges, but it was fun as well. So I basically I come from a consulting background, so I have worked across multiple industries before joining Howden six years back now. Wow, it's been mm. six years. Yeah, but before joining Howden about six years back, 
So in in how then started off as a senior manager, yeah, six years back, then gradually worked my way through. I focused more on the so we are into insurances. We are broking off. We broke insurances. I focused primarily on what we call non-life insurance. It's not as morbid as it sounds, though. It's basically insurance for assets and liabilities of people. We work primarily at the B2B domain. We provide insurance solutions for corporates. So this is a, so this is a very customized product, and it's it's interesting because in here you get to work with clients from different industries. It can be something from retail stores to hospitals to big power plants, anything on the earth. Mm. And when you are basically, if you're an insurance broking for a corporate, then the first job is to understand the full operation of the corporate. Because that's when you will know what are what they are exposed to, what are their risks, and hence what would be the right insurance solution for them. Mm. Then you need to design customized solutions for them. and the solutions should also differ from company to company, depending on whether what industry they are, because depending on, even within the same industry, depending on how they typically operate. Like, for example, the solutions for SM would be very different from solutions for Ayala because right. their business objectives are very different. Right. Their approach to business are very different. Yeah. So the fun part in there is that you get to understand different industries, different operations. Your perspective gets broadened. Mm. So, yeah, that's... And I suppose it's important to be successful. It would be important to keep your mind open, to always keep learning new things, to be fast in learning new things. Mm. Yeah. Good. And Good to be honest. Yes. Yeah, integrity... I always say this, even if you don't have an ethical bone in the body, in your body, even if secretly you hate humanity, if you're trying to do business and you want to survive, you have to think long-term. So you have to play long-term games with long-term people. And, you know, the highest ROI will be to do business with the best integrity and the most empathy that you can, because it's otherwise, especially in today's day of transparency online, maybe you could have gotten away with it before the internet, but now... You just have to really care about people. If you don't care, they're going to go to the competitor. People, what did they say? Nobody cares what you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. True. And so I think that's important. So Now, could you share some of the objectives of how to right now? What are some of the goals that the company is pursuing? So I'll quote our CEO in here, our CEO, Roald Dahl. We aim to be the best broker in the country. We want to be defined by quality rather than quantity. Mm. So that's, in short, that's our objective. Okay. And how are, like, how are you approaching employee training and development within Howden to try to achieve this goal? Do people come already ready and able to do this or do you have a, a training program like how are you going to do that so that's actually a uh, that's actually a very key factor for our kind of business where uh, we're essentially providing solutions to the client so it's very important 
for the employees to have the right amount of soft skills as well as hard skills, both sides. Like you said, that people would care to get what you are selling only if you care enough for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do have various training programs for the employees. At an uh, annually, there are usually the managers of the employees uh, speak with the employees on what kind of training needs they have. Then, uh, at some level, the organization also decides what kind of specific trainings the employees are ought to have based on their roles and responsibilities. For example, a person sitting in accounting would have a very different training regime from a person sitting in HR right. and person sitting in sales, depending on the roles. But we also have some general training sessions as well. Like we have the last two to three years, we are having this fun lunch and learn thing. So once every a month or two months, we'll have a lunch and learn team where we'll all be having lunch together in office. And while doing that, someone would be someone would be basically doing a one-hour training thing on a specific topic. It can be it can be about a specific insurance product. It can be more general things like soft skills. It can be it can be about anything in related to business. Got it. Got it. It's a mix. It's a mix. There have been training programs where employees are also sent abroad sometimes for a week, for a week session. Depends on the business needs, basically, and the role of the employee. Right. But I think the key takeaway for people listening is that you are investing in your people. That you. It sounds like you have a very employee, like staff, team centric company. That because some companies. They treat their staff almost like robots or machines, but it sounds like for you, like you're really trying to facilitate camaraderie. You've got a, a is it monthly, the lunch, the lunch and learn? It's a monthly lunch and learn, which is. Yeah. So we don't have a fixed frequency. This month we already had our second lunch and learn. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But you, so you've got regular like team building activities and yes. ongoing training and in developing and opportunities for people so they can grow professionally and personally. It sounds like. Now, Definitely, I think people is people is something that's that might probably be even more important than your customer. Because if you're not treating your people well, then they will not treat your customers well. And at the end of the day, you can't treat all your customers well. Right. If you're if you train them, treat them well, then they will do good for you. And together, all of us, everyone is growing. Right, that's the best that. case scenario. There's that. no point treating people like beating them up and pushing them to just do more, more, more. There has to be a motivation coming from them as well. Right. A hundred percent. I love Elon Musk has said that all a company is a group of people who solve the problem and pain of another group of people and they do it <clears throat> via a product or service. So I just think it really speaks to your wisdom and knowing that you need to take care of that group of people. Is there ultimately who, who are Thank you. Those, those are quite kind words, but I would never compare myself to what Elon Musk has said. Oh, but then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, that's true. That's true. I believe for any business, it's it's really important to focus on people. For a products company, focus on pro- your product and people because both of them are together carrying your brand. 
Right. They speak about your brand. Whatever you put out in advertising doesn't matter if on the ground reality is different. Right. And for a service company, you don't even have a product. So all you are, all you have is your people. That's your biggest asset. Right. Now, how would you handle challenges with staff and company? Often that's a major pain point for a lot of employers. They might be good. Again, for our listeners, they're small, medium business owners. They might be really good at what they do. They may not be good managers and they may, and, and that, and so I think that's often a pain point. And how do you delegate? How do you manage? How do you troubleshoot issues with staff? How do you guys do it at, at Howden? Is there a process? What are the what kind of the biggest, most common challenges you guys face with staff, if you don't mind sharing? Challenges in terms of people challenges, that's, uh, that's bound to be there. That's always there. So every person has their own personality. Every person has their strengths and weaknesses. I suppose in an ideal situation, you will just be utilizing the strengths of every person and right. maximize it. But then that's very ideal. It doesn't happen in practically, right? You have requirements and when there is a need, you you need it to be attended. So that's when best possible resource, you would identify the best possible resource and then put in necessary trainings to help that uh, person do that. Of course, at the beginning, there has to be a proper chat with the person as well that I know that you prefer this but would you also be willing to take up something like this this you would mm -hmm. have an opportunity like this through this but then if you would need any training for that we recommend this so there has to be a proper flow it cannot be that oh you go and do that so that's <laughs> not taking you anywhere I love that yeah so there has to be buy-in from the people there has to there be a has conversation to, yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you are pitching, you have to basically pitch it to the employee and sell it as well. So what, and you mentioned like, obviously the staff get to choose some of their own and that also management chooses some. Now, just off the top of your head, what are some of the specific skills or behaviors you believe are important for your staff to improve and develop? So technical knowledge and hard, hard skills are really important because at the end of the day, you're selling. If you are offering a service, if you are selling insurance, you need to know specifics of that. Insurance, it's a contract. It's all said and done. It's a contract. So you need to know the all the aspects of the contract, what's written in there, what it's, how it can be interpreted, so mm. on and so forth. Because that's the value you're adding to the client. Your client doesn't have enough time to go through all the nitty gritties of the contract and so you, you only when you know about it, only when you know what exactly it says, only when you know what exactly it translates to legally, operationally, that's when you can advise your client. That's when you can tell your client that, okay, this is what your problem is. This is what this solution is offering. Uh, I believe here and here, this is the right fit for you. So definitely technical knowledge is one of the key, uh, key factors. So one of the ways you hire within the industry, but at the same time, for me, I find that sometimes freshers can really bring in some fresh perspective to things. Sometimes... Say that again? Sorry. I think sometimes a fresh head ah, probably fresh from, yeah, can, give, uh, can bring in a fresh perspective. Someone who's coming, who's not necessarily coming from industry, coming from a diverse background, can bring in some international perspective interesting 
perspectives as well. So I guess, yeah, a mix of both is important in that yeah. way. Yeah, okay, okay. So now, what are some of the greatest mistakes that you see your clients and business owners making when it comes to engaging with an insurance company, or even, as you said, as a consultant, looking at their businesses? I don't know. I would call it a mistake. What will happen is at the end of the day, you have any business, it will have its core operations, core practices, and then it will have its supporting practices. It is only natural for businesses to focus more on their core core business. So if someone is, say, building houses, if someone is building condominiums, or if someone is building power plant, so 80% of their effort and focus would be in that operation. Right. The support support services, say, finance, procurement, those things would not always be key focus. So the same would be applied for applying for insurances. So for people who they have, they have their core practices, so they would not be able to put in enough effort to study insurances, to find what exactly they need. But that's the whole point of special, concept of specialization as well. So you, in today's world, things are quite easy. You can hire someone who has got expertise in there, let them do their thing, monitor it at the top, and then get things done. But problems creep if you start ignoring your non-core operations. Because that's what the business was built up around. Yes, and it's going to hit you back sometime. So that's a common thing you think? People get distracted from the core. They focus on a shiny object or they go down the wrong. But the main thing is to keep the main thing. Yep. Because it's the main thing that matters. Fair enough. Keep the main thing and then make sure that you have facilitated everything around it so that the main thing keeps on steady. So what would be some of the habits that you feel have both helped you on your path to success, but are also the habits that you know your company embodies to, to maintain success and being the best? So the training is definitely one, but then more than that, the overall mindset. One of the key things I find, I think is important for companies to do is allow people to make mistakes. Have systems in place so that the mistakes could be taken care of. It cannot be that you're making mistake every day. Basically allow people to make mistake, but discourage people from repeating same mistake. Right. One mistake, you learn. Second yeah. mistake, now you're being stupid. Third mistake, there's a real problem. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. What is some of the best advice that you've ever had to help you in your journey in your career? I was once told that if you are smart and selfish, always stick to your ethics. Mm-hmm. You are not doing, you are not being ethical for your company. You are not being ethical for the world. You are being ethical for yourself because mm-hmm. in the long run, a small, the, the benefits from a small unethical act is not going to matter. But if you establish a reputation as being a 
ethical and honest and ethical person, yep. that is going to take you places in the long run. I, That's something that I found immensely useful. I was a young kid at the time, and that's something that immediately stuck with me. And yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that goes back to what we had said before about business is about helping people long term, right? You're not. Yeah, most people know that businesses need regulars to survive, and if you're not treating people right, if you don't, if you don't care about them at all, we all know those big kind of monopolies that would just have the brutal customer service. And we all wish for an alternative because they don't yeah. take care of us. Right. And I think that, yeah, I think that's what you're speaking to right there. That's a really good point. Now, where do you think the future of your industry is headed? Like where are things going to be in 10, 5, 10, 15 years? How is this changing and evolving? Did, has, has COVID impacted things in a big way? I, I, I Yeah, well, I don't. Where are things going? I think a big change is due. COVID definitely has played the role of a catalyst in pushing some of the things up. So if we talk about 15, 20 years back, there was a big shift from we moved over from paper to soft copies. Okay. Today, no one writes a letter. Even government, half of their do- documentation is now through email. Really? Governments and the bureaucracies. Half of their documentations and communications are now through email, right? Oh, Today, digitized so. now. Wow. Digitized. Everything is digitized. So I think we have another similar change due, probably in the next five to 10 years, shouldn't be more than that, where this would, this would be about how we handle data and information. Today, we are interpreting most of the data, at least for all the small to medium companies. They don't have their data interpretation using human I think artificial intelligence is going to replace that. I, and I personally think that's a, that's a smart way of doing things. That's a, another level of specialization where you are letting superior logical system do their thing and you utilize their output. So I think the way we work with those is also going to change our uh, uh, the day-to-day the day-to-day mundane works are can be taken care of by by whether we call AI or basically simulated systems, so that we could focus more on the on the broader level things. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a key change that's going to be reflecting across most of the industries. Some probably would be penetrated faster. Mm-hmm. Some would be a bit slower, but then mm-hmm. eventually, I suppose that is a change that's going to happen, not just in insurance, but also across all other industries. Yeah. yeah. COVID, I feel, has in some way helped speeding this process up to an extent. In last two years, people have realized that it's not that important to always go to the office. It's about output. It's not about yeah. hours worked in a day per se. That's actually how FedEx got their overnight delivery thing. They went from paying salary to paying performance. And they were saying, hey, when the packages are out of the warehouse, you all can go home. And they turned eight-hour days into like a three-hour day. Yeah. And that's what matters, right? As a company at the end of the day, it's the output that matters. Right. Yeah, we're paying for the result at the end of the day. It depends. Sometimes... Like customer service, they have to be available, 
Yes. But for a lot of other things, output, output. And it's a clear indication of what are you after anyhow. Yeah. And then, uh, good that businesses have started seeing it that way now. There are rules that would require timing. So if you talk about customer service, if you talk about hospitals, so right. you would need them. So you would need people to be there. Right. But then there are also businesses that doesn't need that. So if you don't need that, take advantage. I love that. I agree. I use the analogy as a, of a calculator that if you take like accounting, pre-calculator, there were people that were very productive. And then there were people that were accountants that weren't that productive. And they sometimes would make a lot of excuses that they're just spending a lot of time doing math and checking the numbers. And then calculators came out and it didn't replace the need for an accountant. You still needed accountants, but it made the productive people more productive. And it got rid of the excuses of the non-productive people. And I feel like with AI right now, at least the state that it's in right now, it's like the calculator. It hasn't replaced the need. Goldman Sachs released a report earlier this year. I think it would cross all industries. The average was about 20% of tasks could be automated. automated but yeah. it doesn't necessarily replace like the jobs being replaced. I forget that was way lower. It was like 3% of jobs, but 20% of tasks across most industries could be automated with AI now. And like you said, it it frees, you, frees us up. So per, my personal opinion is that there's opportunity and difficulty and things could either get really dark or it could become a new golden age for us where now we're leveled up and not stuck filling out paper forms. <laughs> yeah, true. So it's going to change. It's definitely going to change how we work. But then change is something that we'll have to adapt. And as mm -hmm. long as we can adapt to the change, I do think that's going to bring in a lot of unemployment. It's just going to be, but then, yeah, there will be people who are, uh, who would resist change. So it might be difficult for, uh, for them. Eventually you will have to adapt to things. Right. But just because adapting to a new thing is a difficult thing, we cannot just shy away from changes. That way we'll not reach anywhere ever. If you don't mind me asking it, how then, how, what's the, a ballpark of breakdown in terms of staff. How many people are in marketing and sales versus in an accounting versus payroll and that? Like, what's the breakdown of the company, so to speak? We are right now somewhere around 90. Our sales team would be, I think, core business sales and support together would be somewhere around around 60, I believe, 50 to 60. And then rest would be support uh, support assistance. So that would be HR, admin. And, yeah. Got it. Got it. That's, I think, a good ratio. I know a lot of businesses, they've got one, two marketing salespeople and they have 10, 20 people on the fulfillment end. So that's a healthy, that's a healthy ratio for you to have. Now, for them, I guess these developments in that you guys are having to adopt a lot of AI and that stuff to keep. Is that what you're seeing now as a company? Are you guys trying to incorporate the new technology into, is there a resistance to change in your company right now or? So as a company technology, yes. AI, not to that extent yet. All state and done insurance is one of the, oh, how do I put it? 
So insurance is one of the one of the one of the industries that has been around for so long, and that that is more stable in the sense that if we talk about industries like power, insurance, infrastructure, these are something that are more conservative industries. Right. Uh, adapting to change, it's usually uh, technology companies and all who would be faster in adapting to something like AI. And as an industry, what I have seen is uh, insurance probably would take a bit longer compared to some of the other industries in adapting to such system. Probably even banking would, would also take a similarly somewhat longer time. Right now, technology is a focus, yes. As in, we uh, we try to find innovative use of technology in see various aspects like risk assessments, so risk modeling, mm. having worldwide database to to help your customers understand benchmark where they are vis-a-vis -vis their competitors across the globe, and uh, at the same time doing some estimated modelings to. Uh, Estimate the impacts of things like earthquake, typhoon at uh, beach, mm. at different locations. There are a lot of uses of technology in those aspects, especially when it comes to prediction and estimations. A lot mm. of statistical tools are used in such things. But when we talk about artificial intelligence, based on what my interaction with the people from the industry across different geographies. It seems that at this point of time, the artificial intelligence uses is more on the front-end customer service and solution mm -hmm. side only at this point of time. But mm -hmm. I have a feeling that that is going to change soon. Mm -hmm. How? Let us see. Yeah, let us see. Let us see. Stay tuned. Excellent prediction. This has been a really packed call. I've got a couple of pages of notes. I hope the listeners got a lot of goods too. They may want to listen to it again, make sure they didn't miss anything. VJ, I want to respect your time. I know we're talking on a weekend and that. Now, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? Well, it, it was a great conversation. It was lovely speaking with you. I believe we have more or less covered, covered the matters matters that we were discussing earlier as well but anything specific that you have in mind yeah happy to discuss for me i don't know if there's anything else to add it sounds like you've got a large marketing and sales team and i know that for a lot of the small and medium business owners the last few years have been you know really tough for a lot of them they were a lot of them were decimated entire industries in some instances were severely impacted and I know that there's also been massive career changes. A lot of people, right? The, I think they call it the great resignation. So I think there's a lot of people just trying to find their way and navigate through. You gave some great tips. We talked about, you know, at least B2B development that, you know, that especially as an introverted person, at first you were worried that it was going to be a weakness, but actually turned into a strength because it made you focus on listening more and understanding the problem more versus talking. And so you were more about being a solution provider and providing the best solution for them, which when you're doing B2B, it's sometimes it's it's decision by committee, right? So it's not, you can't do the, the manipulation 
all that stuff. You just have to provide a really good proposal and and show that you understand it and, and build that relationship. So I thought that was really good. We talked about lead gen. You gave some tips on lead gen. Depending on what you're selling, if the product has a big pull, sometimes you just have to be visible. You just have to be, people got to know that you exist. But if the product doesn't have a big pull, you probably have to go out and push a bit. And so in that essence, you ideally want a good brand or you want to maintain good brand value. So it helps the people know who you are when you show up. But you need to try and get past being a random person and build relationships, but also that people shouldn't neglect focusing on offering their existing customers more, right? Going deeper in those relationships. And then what else we talked about the importance of training, both soft and hard skills that both that you should let employees drive that and that it's okay to let people make mistakes, but you should have a process in place knowing that people will make mistakes, but making it a safe environment, at least for the first one or two mistakes, but then it gets severe after. Hey, how many times you got to learn this mistake, right? Yeah. You also talked about the importance of knowing your industry. Like it's not just going out and making promises to people that need to have the technical knowledge and hard skills about your product. And you need to, one thing I really liked was talking about, at least in your line of business, knowing the legal and operational implications of stuff so they can actually help the clients, customers, because they're so busy. They they don't necessarily have the time to go through the whole contract and understand what it means. So you really have to be there and help them understand what it is that, you know, they're getting. And then you gave a great tip about keeping the main thing and focusing on the core operations and practice of the business. And maybe there's supporting practices or things that they're trying to develop, but that at least where you see people get tripped up is when they take their eyes off of the core operations and practices and making sure, like making that as firm and solid as possible. I don't know. Is there anything that you want to add to that that I missed? No, I think, yeah, I think that's pretty much that. And yeah. Stick to your ethics. And stick to your ethics. Forgive me. That's definitely super, super important. BJ, thank you so much for coming and sharing with my audience. Obviously, you have a wealth of knowledge and you have some great tips and you are in the field and helping people, not one person or two person, but you've got teams of people and you're inter- interacting with a group of 3,000 on a regular basis. And so I thank you for coming and sharing with us and helping my audience, knowing that you have your own people that you could be helping as well, and especially taking some time on the weekend to do it. So thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Daryl. It's been such a pleasure. It had some great 45 minutes.